I am Paul Unger, editor of Placetech. I'm here with Richard Croft, executive chairman of M7 Real Estate, one of Europe's foremost investors, and also a prolific uh, investor in technology and property. Welcome, Richard. Thank you very much for having me, Paul. Um, let's start at the beginning. Have you always been interested in technology? Uh, yeah, um, I have been. So I'm now 50 years old, but my very first computer was the for those of you who can remember it, the very famous Sinclair ZX81. And the change that it brought to my life, even back then, I think 1979, 1980, with its 1K of RAM, I mean, it's almost inconceivable to think of something so small and pitiful as that was. But mind you, it sort of changed, changed the way that I look at things and it changed the way that I worked, even as a child. And so, yeah, no, I've always been interested in tech and, and what it is able to do for us um, as a business, or what it was able to do for me as a child, and now what it's able to do for me as a business. And, and, and what sparked your professional interest in uh, seeing the potential for using technology in property? Oh, that's, that's easy. Um, you know, it's, I've always wanted to be able to do things more efficiently. So tech has um, played a massive role uh, in our industry, in the real estate industry, of making everything we do more efficient. I mean, when I started in the industry in 1990, I mean, you know, nobody ever heard of an IRR, nobody really heard of a spreadsheet. Uh, most deals were done in the pub. Um, tech, we have been with the most love out of industries, and certainly what we now do as an industry and the sort of scale of real estate would not have been possible without the advent of tech and infrastructure. And can you remember what the, the first sort of dabblings were in terms of what you uh, brought into the business to, to help improve the efficiency in the way you described? Um, yeah, I mean, well, the first obviously was, you know, was well, right back in the day, Lotus, Lotus 1, 2, 3, and the uh, collection of software packages that Lotus had. Um, you know, but so, you know, first of all, it was uh, digitalizing the way that we analyzed it before. You know, I mean, I'm sure nobody really remembers, but a lot of the stuff that we now do in spreadsheets was done longhand. Um, so, I mean, that was the first thing in tech. And then the second thing, it enabled us to build the, since the advent of email and the advent of a lot of the systems that we invested in, it has enabled us just to do things more quickly, more efficiently, and be able to share information far more quickly than we'd ever able to do before. I mean, I remember at the beginning of my working day, we'd open our post, I'd dictate my replies to people and then send it away. And so it'd take two days for, for you know people to be able to communicate if you didn't make a phone call. So, you know, I mean, again, for anybody who didn't work in the late 80s, early 90s, that is an extraordinary thing to be saying. But, you know, tech has enabled everything to happen much, much faster and much quicker and cleaner than ever before. And you've had your own success with um, with Coyote. Um, do you want to tell us how that came about? Yeah, so Coyote is um, a software package that was built by primarily a guy called Ollie Farragut, who at the time was the chief technology officer for M7. He's now the chief executive of the separate Coyote business. Um, and then the rest of us, mostly because in 2009, when M7 was being set up, we couldn't find software that allowed us to do what we wanted to do. So we decided as a startup company, the best thing to do would be to bring some people on board who were, uh, I'm gonna call them technologists, um, and get them to help us build the thing that we think we needed, and Coyote was a product of that. And Coyote, I mean, at its core, 
Uh, it does lots of things, but one of the things it does is it enables us to analyze all acquisitions that we're making. And it's called Coyote because my very first job in real estate in the very early 90s was uh, as a roadrunner. I worked for a guy called John Sims. He had this idea of building this database of all the industrial estates in the country. And so for, I don't know, probably two years, I drove around the UK taking photographs of every industrial estate I could find, marking them on a map, you know, sort of just a big map that you bought from a um, petrol station, taking photographs, and I built this inverted commas database. In fact, the database was almost all in my head and in files um, uh, behind me. Um, but what enabled us to do is to approach people directly, because what we do is find out who owns these assets, then approach them directly and try and buy them. And all of IO's funds, the company that I work for was called IO, were launched on the basis of having this wonderful database. It, it, it wasn't a database in the loosest sense of words, but anyway, we call Coyote after that. So what, it's named after Wiley Coyote, the, the sort of thing that chased around the roadrunner for years and years and years in the cartoons. Um, and, and how would you describe the impact that that's had in terms of accelerating um, your your business and your ability to to trade and acquire? Oh, I mean, you know, it's no doubt that um, you know M Seven has benefited enormously from Coyote. Um, you know, it has been it was our USP, and the only reason why we've made it available for third parties. I said, I'm slightly concerned that other people were going to build it anyway. But I know for the six or seven years, I think it was the cornerstone of M7 success when we were working with lots of the big private equity groups. You know, what differentiated us was our tech and our organization um, and the fact that we were able to share information far more efficiently than anybody else. Uh, so, no, I mean, I think we, we, without it, I don't think M7 would be the success story that it has been. Fantastic. Um, and can you tell us a little bit about what you're looking at currently when it comes to technology and property? What excites well, you? So we, I mean, I'm on the board of IPSX, the, the, the new stock exchange for real estate. We're also a big investor in that. Um, M7 through Coyote, um, or sometimes on its own balance sheet, has invested in a number of uh, businesses, including Jasper, uh, which is a um, crowdfunding platform based down in Australia, uh, of all places. Um, we have been investor in Proda, the AI business. We were invested, unfortunately, in a thing called Property.Works, which was a, um, uh, a commercial real estate um, version of Zoopla. I, you know, that wasn't a good investment, turns out. Um, but you know, we've, we've invested probably now, we're a big investor in Unisos, I'm sure you know. Yeah. Um, we've, we've probably packed seven or eight uh, prop tech platforms, you know, and, we expect a couple to be very successful and then, you know, the rest probably to fall by the wayside. I mean, you know, I think that's the way with tech investing. But what we want to do is we want to see if we can find the solutions for tomorrow today. And, and given there are so many thousands of prop tech businesses that have been created in the last few years, and many must come to you that have never made a profit. Uh, there are some that look a lot like lots of others all trying to do the same thing. Um, what, what are you looking for? How do you decide on, on the next uh, investment? I mean, we are looking for, in a sort of investment like that, well, we are, I suppose the best way to describe it, we're, we're, we're looking for, as I said, for things that can solve a problem. 
um, and are appropriately valued both in the offer that they're giving to the people who are going to be the users, but also in their valuation. And one of the biggest problems with investing in tech at the moment is that, you know, or at least until recently, people's valuations of what they think their business is worth is just has been bananas. And are there particular things that, given the sort of economic shutdown that we're in now with the virus, has that changed your view on to um, looking towards certain yeah, technologies? So I, mean, I, I think we'll look a bit more towards construction tech because I think you know the way out of this crisis when this is all over is going to be a massive infrastructure spend. You know, I mean, obviously, you know, going to be the way the government can do QE directly in to into main street as it were rather than the markets so on that basis yeah I and mean, i think um i think what we would like to see what we would hope to see is a um sort of more investment from us in, con in con construction tech things that are going to make things more efficient during the construction process absolutely and what's your strategy as an investor are you looking for big exits or long holds how do you uh, view that well, right now a big exit would come in massively handy so yeah i mean you know if a big exit comes along oh i'm a massive seller of that as it were um but i mean you know we we've been long i mean obviously we started coyote but you know that's been a 10-year hold for us um you know we we totally uh i suppose adapt our business plan to whatever we hold but if somebody came along and offered us you know a lot of money for any particular holding that we have um you know at the end of the day we're investors and the job of an investor is to make money so you know whilst a lot of the people that we've backed i'm very fond of and you know very impressed by what they do uh, the reality is is if we can take a profit particularly at the moment we would take a profit absolutely and on the um the sort of day job, as it were, in terms of the um, the invest property investment side away from technology, um, tell us a little bit about the last couple of weeks and uh, some of the um, when did you start to feel the the uncertainty that must have come from clients at the moment, and what are they saying to you? Um, they're, they're, I mean, you know, everybody wants to know what's going to happen in a few weeks' time? And I, you know, I don't think anybody can answer that, that question. I mean, how long is this going to go on for? You've got this strange phenomenon at the moment of the stock market rallying um, aggressively at the moment. So in the US, the Dow is up, up above 22,000. Um, so it's up 4% of the day for its third daily rise. But that's just been done on the back of a record 3.28 million Americans applying for unemployment benefits. Um, so... I, that looks like to me like the market's reacting to stimulus. But I mean, the question is, is the stimulus going to be enough? And what is the impact going to be on real estate? I mean, so I, lots of questions out there. I'm not sure there are any real answers. And I don't think we'll know any real answers probably for another six to eight weeks when the, well, hopefully the worst of this has passed. And do you think there are still deals to be done in this or is everything on hold? Um, no, I, th I mean, I, I mean, certainly for us, um, pretty much everything is on hold, to be honest. Um, I don't think you'd expect it any other way. But um, after this, of course, there will be opportunity. But the question is what the opportunity is going to be. We've got very low interest rates. So providing people can go back to collecting rents, there shouldn't be a lot of pressure on people to sell. 
it's not like last time where actually when we came into this crisis, interest rates were five or six percent. And so people had swapped out their interest rates and they had these massive swap rate li uh, liabilities. So when the market collapsed, people had to sell assets at deep discounts to their previous values. And then they also had the swap rate li liabilities. That problem doesn't exist this time around. Um, the question is, is whether there's going to be any rent to collect. And if there's any rent to collect, which one assumes that, you know, um, that there will have to be, um, then I don't think the banks are going to um, be too aggressive. I don't think they'll be too aggressive with landlords because there's very, very little point. Um, you know, as long as the interest rate can be mostly covered, there should be a reflation of asset values once this settles, or once this um, settles down. I mean, I'd be nervous if I owned a lot of, if we owned a lot of shopping centers. Uh, we don't, um, thank goodness. Um, we'd be a bit nervous, you know, how long it would take the hotel trade to come back, but we're mostly invested in office and warehouses. Um, so I'm hoping that our portfolio, whilst I'm sure will be hit, um, when it comes back, we should be pretty stable. And I said, you know, I hope in most cases, people are pretty stable. I'm sure there'll be opportunities, but in a funny kind of way, I hope there aren't too many because that means that the market has been very, very badly damaged. And, you know, you don't like to see that for anybody. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and on the prop tech side, you mentioned um, in passing, you expect a couple of your investments to be uh, big winners and the others to fall by the wayside. Can you, is there anybody you've identified that would be um, in the likely to succeed camp? Well, I mean, when we invest, we hope that they all will. But I mean, one's got to be realistic. A lot of these businesses are startups and uh, pre-revenue, and some will get going and some won't. So, I mean, so that's more of a generic statement than I'm looking and thinking, right, here's, here's something that's going to make billions, and this one's going to... I mean, if we don't think it's going to work, we wouldn't invest. So, no. But um, from, what, from what you've seen from the performance since you've been in, are, are there any that are really exciting you that you can uh, name? I think we're... I mean... I think IPSX, if the world ever returns to normal, has the potential to be a total game changer. Mm -hmm. I really do. And I think Proto is, you know, very exciting too. I think anything involving AI, if you can actually make it work, um, is going to be hugely valuable. And uh, have you got um, investments lined up for uh, 2020? That uh, well, I mean, yes. Yeah, so we've so we've, we've just made a couple. I mean, no, I, I mean we've just expanded our uh, investment into IPSX. Um, and I think, though, over the next few weeks, I don't think we will, unless something came along that was absolutely extraordinary, I don't think we'll be making further investments outside the ones that we've already made. And you know, I, I, IPSX, you were due to be the first, uh, one of your, your buildings was due to be the first listed um, um, asset on IPSX, was that right? Yeah, that is absolutely right. Um, uh, I'm perplexed as to, uh, or perplexed is the wrong word, but um, we're very excited about that. It's just a question of when we will be able to do it. Because, you know, until the markets return to normal, not much point in sort of launching an IPO. Um, but uh, uh, I would expect probably we're aiming now for Q4 of this year, rather than Q3, which is what we were going to be. And, and remi reminders, uh, which, which was the uh, the building and the uh, where that's up to? It's a building called the Mailbox, so we own it. Um, 
primarily an office building uh, that has some retail in it and a Harvey Nicks famously, but actually it's primarily an office building. In, in um, Birmingham, isn't it? In, in Birmingham, yeah, and it's, it's an iconic building. I mean, it's a very famous building and I'm, you know, I'm excited about uh, it being listed on IPSX. I really am. Has there been much interest from the sort of retail investment world or is it uh, too early to, to get into that really with the IPO not uh, taking place yet? Um, no, there's been a huge amount of interest in the uh, investment world, but unfortunately that's all on hold because um, obviously we can't see anybody. So and I don't think we'll be seeing anybody for two or three months. But no, there was there was genuinely quite a lot of interest. Okay. And, and how much have you got um, committed from... M7 to, to to tech, is there a sort of upper limit for the... Uh, well, if you map? include all the money we've invested in um, Coyote, it's, I mean, it's between, well, it's well over £10 million. Pounds. Mm. I mean, so I actually probably more. I mean, sort of, I, no, there isn't an upper limit. I mean, you know, we, we make investments that our balance sheet can cope with. Um, so, uh, you know, Coyote is obviously the biggest, IPSX is the next biggest, and then we've got a few million pounds worth of other investments. Absolutely. And what, what do you think will happen post outbreak in terms of the tech investment landscape? There was a lot of talk beforehand about a bubble and you've mentioned uh, some very saucy valuations. Do you think that we'll, we'll come out in different shape or will it carry on like that? Um, hopefully it'll come out in, uh, you know, people's, Valuation requirements hopefully will settle down because I mean, actually, it doesn't help in the long term. You know, if people's valuations are just sort of driven by the wrong metrics, um, it's difficult then, you know, even though there's a lot of capital raised, it's difficult then for people to successfully invest in them. So, I mean, I, you know, on the balance of probabilities, I think um, that this will result in a shakedown of. Uh, the more optimistic valuations and result in a sort of level that's more sensible for investors, bearing in mind the risk that they're taking. You know, if you invest £500,000 in something that is pre-revenue and they've already decided it's worth £20 million, um, you know, that £500,000 doesn't actually buy you a lot of the upside. And so that, that's not a massively attractive investment, particularly in sort of pre-revenue stage. Um, but anyway, I mean, we, will, we, we, we will see. But on the balance of probabilities, I am. Um, I think, um, I think it is more likely than not uh, that valuations will fall as a result of COVID-19, and that will probably attract more investment, I hope. Mm. And, and what's your own view? Obviously, you've said we can't predict the future, but what's your own sort of feeling for how, you know, the shape of this? Are we, are we set for a sort of a very broad U and we'll be along the bottom for a while or will it be a sharp V and everything will be? I mean, a sharp V doesn't look massively likely at the moment. Um, but again, it depends very much on what the government does on the stimulus packages, how quickly we get back, all of which are questions that nobody can answer. I mean, you know, it doesn't appear, I mean, there doesn't appear to be a, a very clear light at the end of the tunnel. I mean, realistically, across Europe, you must be looking at another eight weeks of shutdown. I would have thought, based on what we know today, 
Um, and if that's the case, how much damage does that do? How quickly can you put the economy back together again? How successful will the Bank of England, the ECB, the Bank of Japan, the Fed being in injecting all this liquidity into the market? How effective will the governments be in making sure that people remain fair, literally? Um, so the answer is uh, maybe very successful, um, at which point then I think we have reasons to be sort of think that it will be a, a shallow U. Rather. I don't think, I think a V is probably out of the question now. Um, you know, I've seen some research that suggests some pretty bearish outcomes, others suggesting fairly bullish outcomes, but on the balance of probabilities, I would say a, a sort of, hopefully not too long a U is probably the more likely outcome. But I mean, you know, that could get worse or better. It's very difficult to say did, which. Absolutely, and did you see the announcement overnight from MIPIM? Yeah. So will you be there in Paris in September? I doubt it. <laughs> I mean, good. I can't. I mean, I, I, I don't know because obviously I've got lots on, and, um, but uh, I doubt it, no. And, and how many flights would you say you've had to cancel? You, you do a lot of traveling, speaking to investors. Oh, I've got it. I mean, I've barely flown since. Uh, and so I've probably had... I haven't really flown now for four weeks, really. Uh, you know, in a normal period, I would have taken 15 or 20 flights during that period. Yeah. Um, and the impact that has on airlines, obviously, is is huge. Um, and I don't really expect to be traveling again now till, I don't know, September, probably. But will you be a, a, a video meeting convert, or will you go back to flying once this is all over. 100%. Oh, no, no, but you, you cannot be, to my mind, a face-to-face -face meeting. Uh, you know, I think it's, you know, video conferencing is fine when it works, but sometimes it doesn't. You get the digital interference or bandwidth restrictions or, um, and then you sort of get timeouts. Um, so no, I mean, listen, the video conferencing has been phenomenal, uh, bearing in mind the pressure it's been under, but the reality is, um, is I don't think you can beat a physical face-to-face, -face, providing you're not giving each other diseases but I mean when we get back to when we when we get back to normal no I fully intend to continue to meet people face to face and to go and see assets and you know to to, to take up the job that I that I had um and also you know what it proves working from home whilst it's fine is you miss the social interaction with people you know I mean I don't know how long you've been at home now but after a while uh it's you know it, the human animal is a social animal. It wants to see people. Absolutely. Yeah, no, I it's... definitely fall into that camp. So, you know, whilst I'm loving having time with my wife and children, um, you know, and basically uh, we sort of stopped seeing anybody else at all other than digitally. And I think, you know, to, to go and have a drink with somebody, I've, I've forgotten how much a good thing that was. So I'm, I'm, I'm looking forward to being able to go back to a pub at some stage, even if that's several months away. Absolutely. You do realise how, how much we took for granted. Yeah. And, and go to the office as well. Really, really interesting to, to talk to you and hear your view. Um, hopefully you've enjoyed doing that as well. I have, Paul. Thank you.